Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. For Wolverine fans from coast to coast, go blue and welcome to the Michigan Man Extra for February. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. I usually get the extra out in the middle of the month, so I am a bit late, but better late than never. Since the bowl game here on the show, we focused on winter sports. And other than recruiting updates with Steve Lorenz each month, I've taken a break from talking too much Michigan football. Wellspring practice is right around the corner, and after that, the preseason chatter will start in earnest. And before you know it, we'll be ready for another season of football. It will be here soon enough. Jim Harbaugh has been fairly low-key since the season ended, other than the signing day presser, but very busy with getting his coaching staff retooled and ready for spring practice. Now, not everyone is thrilled with some of the new staff choices, but I think we can all agree that after last season, change was necessary. On this month's Extra, we have a first-time guest. He is one of the very talented young writers at the Athletic Detroit and does a great job covering Michigan football. Up next, we welcome Max Boltman here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Joining us on our Michigan Man Extra for February, and I know it's uh, the last day of February, but we're finally getting it out there, is Max Boltman from the Athletic Detroit, who covers Michigan football as well as many other things. Max, it's great to have you with us. Mike, awesome to be here. Well, first time on the show, as I've mentioned, so sort of tell the listeners a little bit about, along with Michigan football, what else it is you do at the Detroit Athletic? asked to do would be the simplest way. Um, I'm a general assignment reporter, so uh, I did the whole Michigan football season this year, but I also, uh, you know, if somebody needs a, a day off on another beat or maybe they're, they're going to report out a more intensive story, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll hop on to some of the other Detroit beats. I've been doing Red Wings coverage for the last couple. Uh, I'm going to go to the Big Ten basketball tournament this week. Uh, so all, all, all kinds of stuff, and uh, it's a really fun time to, to be at The Athletic. Well, as I tell my listeners, check out The Athletic Detroit if you're a sports junkie, and not just a Michigan junkie, but a sports junkie. It is good stuff, so Google it, check it out. We'll have the, the link up on our show notes page. Yeah, that's nice of you to say. Max, uh, as I mentioned to you, we try to sort of stay away from football, give it a break from January until March. doesn't work real well. Uh, we have recruiting shows on, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, the listeners, that's first and foremost on everyone's mind. What's happening with Jim Harbaugh and Michigan football? And it's been a busy offseason for him in regards to his staff. So let's start with the news from last week that Tim Drevno was resigning, um, being fired. I, I don't know if anyone knows exactly what happened, but whatever, were you surprised by that development? Yeah, I was. I mean, it, when there's so much staff turnover, you can never be too surprised, right, in college football when someone moves on. But I think it was just the, how late into the cycle it was that was surprising and, and the fact that Tim Drevno has been a staple of Jim Harbaugh's staffs for pretty much the last decade. I mean, there was the one year where he went out off on his own to USC, but he's really been one of Harbaugh's guys for a long time. And, and so he he and, obviously, Jay Harbaugh are you know, the, the two that, that would have surprised me most to see leave. 
uh, and, and even Jay as a, as a position coach, you know, there's more room for a, a promotion out of that. So I, I, to me, Drevno was one of the more surprising guys that could have left, uh, and obviously he did. So, so yeah, it definitely was not uh, my expectation coming into this cycle, though, though I know that some fans uh, maybe had to throw that out there. I just think it's this late in the cycle, it was a little bit of a surprise. Well, of course, Tim Drevno's departure opens the door for Ed Warner to move from an analyst position to offensive line coach. He, of course, is a very respected coach, and we all know a former Ohio State offensive coordinator. Your thoughts, Max, on what he brings to this staff? Yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see exactly how they sort out the responsibilities of that on the staff and exactly where they think that he's going to best suit them. But in any capacity, I think he's probably the most interesting new hire that they made. I mean, his, when he was at Ohio State, he was coaching, he did some position coaching, and then he became an offensive coordinator. When he was at Ohio State, I mean, those were some of those outstanding Ohio, I mean, a lot of outstanding Ohio State teams. But uh, I don't think they were worse than 11th in the country in rush yardage when he was their offensive coordinator. I mean, that that's pretty impressive stuff. And, and obviously there's some systemic differences there, like just in terms of scheme. But when you've got a guy who's, who's a proven track record of churning out these really impressive rushing offenses, I mean, I, if I know the Michigan fan base, I think that's something that is appealing to them. Well, and you know the Michigan fan base, and another move that met with mixed reviews, at least what I hear from people, was the hiring of Jim McElwain. Uh, right now he is officially the receiver's coach on a one-year contract worth three hundred grand. Could be more if coordinator is added to uh, his title, sort of what we right. hired on Dan Enos's contract. Do you think right. the offensive coordinator is where it's headed for him? I don't know. It's not clear to me that naming one of sort of the three coordinator types on that staff, the actual offensive coordinator, is like necessarily where this is headed. I think that when you have three guys who are relatively equally qualified for a job like that, you do have to worry a little bit about ego and about you know what what title does to to the dynamic. I mean, you, you think that people can separate that, and certainly you'd like to believe that. But if Jim Harbaugh is going to be in charge of this uh, this offense, which we have no reason to believe that he's not, then maybe you don't need like one guy who is theoretically in charge there. I mean you can make an argument that just organizationally that makes sense and, and it just simplifies the division of responsibility. Totally a fair argument. But, I, I mean, I don't know what you think. If, if there necessarily needs to be one guy who is the coordinator or if you want to have, like, a room full of ideas and, and people feel like, you know, it's relatively level playing field in that standpoint with the obvious exception that one, one guy has the final say. Uh, but but I'm curious, like whether there is going to be one coordinator. I think if there is, you know, maybe McElwain makes sense, um, just because he's he's done he's been a head coach. And but at the same time, when he was a head coach, the offenses that he oversaw were not especially good and really not good at all. So it, it's going to be interesting how they choose to handle it. I don't know if there's one most logical guy to to supersede the others. Do you, have, do you have thoughts on that? Well, I think whatever you do, if it works, people like it. And clearly last year it didn't work. And, and you know from inside yeah. the program and national observations were that there might have been too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, when it came to play calling yeah. uh, with Pep Hamilton, uh, Drevno, Harbaugh involved during the games. I don't know how that works, the inner workings of that. So now you have a former 
OC, a former head coach and OC in the mix with Jim. And if we don't have an official offensive coordinator named, then other than the names, what's really changed in the command structure of how the offense works? But even if they do name a coordinator, right? Like that's how it was last year. There was a guy who was named the coordinator, but you still had all those competing competing voices because you've got a run game coordinator and a passing game coordinator. And I mean, is it as simple as you get a, a pass play from the passing coordinator, a run play from the running coordinator, the offensive coordinator gives his input, and then Harbaugh gives his? I mean, I don't. I, like you said, nobody really knows exactly what the intricate workings are there. But I, I'm not sure that the that the offensive coordinator title would carry any kind of actual veto power because we know who has the veto power there, right? Yeah. So it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know how I would handle it. I've never been in a, in a managerial position like that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like if, if you don't have a guy, who, like Michigan pays their assistants like, relatively highly compared to a lot of other teams in the nation. Drevno was making a, a good chunk. Don Brown deservedly makes a, a, a good chunk. But do you want to elevate a guy's pay like so significantly if he if he's not a clear delineation, just input wise, from what he would be doing otherwise? I don't know. I mean that that's not I don't have the answer to that. But it, that's just where I'm coming from. Is it's not necessarily clear to me that that's what has to happen. I think we look around at college football fans are are traditional and they say, hey, everyone else has an offensive coordinator. Why don't we? What's going on? Right. I'll say, if you, yeah. win, if you win, it just doesn't matter. So I don't exactly. get too worried about it. Um, there have been a lot of staff changes, though, Max, in the first three years under Jim Harbaugh. And to be fair, Michigan is not the only program that has this happen. Alabama and Ohio State have had similar turnover during the same period. And heck, just look down at South Bend, Brian Kelly, he more or less cleans house uh, every other year or so, it seems. Do you think Michigan staff turnover is really a concern? From from a standpoint of the players or in like indicative of something larger? Well, you know, there's always been that talk that people burn out on Jim Harbaugh. And, sure. uh, you know, they can only be around him so long. And whatever that's like, we don't know. People just decide, hey, yeah. I've, I've had enough. Now, then again, as I said, we're all focused on Michigan football, so that's what we see. But you're seeing basically the same kind of thing at a lot of other programs. But I guess getting back to what I'm really thinking, for continuity's sake, does it right. re- does it really make a big difference? Hard. I mean, hard to say. Um, I will say, just in terms of what you're talking about with like the burnout, one thing I've always tried to do as I look at these things is I look at if a guy is leaving for a promotion, you can't really help that. Like if a guy is getting a better job, you know, there's, there's no necessarily reason to fault them. I think mm-hmm. people leave their jobs for, for higher profile jobs, better titles, better pay, all kinds of reasons all the time. I mean, that, that, that to me makes very good logical sense when you think about like a Brian Smith, um, Jed Fish. Did he get a promotion to go to UCLA? I believe he did. He did. Um, so, so there's stuff like that, that that makes a little more sense. It's when guys either take a lateral move or take a move and, and it's uncertain what's going to happen that you start to, to, to ask that first question, but in, in terms of continuity, yeah, I, I think it, it matters. It, it matters insofar as if a player is really gelling with a coach, you, you'd think that the player has to make an adjustment. Like, mm-hmm. like when you see a, a, an offense that's really humming um, with Jed Fish, and I think that Wilton Spate under Jed Fish was, was a heck of a lot better than he was this last year. Um, that, that's kind of, I mean, there was other factors, of course. We've lost a lot of receiving talent, um, some stuff on the O-line, but 
but when you see a drop-off like, like that, there is a little bit of um, understandable concern over whether, you know, is, is, is there a problem here with the, the changeover? Is it too much, to, too much new stuff to learn? Um, and I don't know if that was the case. I, mean, I, don't, I don't mean to imply that, but, but I think that's where it comes into play is if a guy's working really well with one guy and you change it up and, and someone else comes in, how does that affect? Are they being told the same things? Is it different? conflicting messages are, are they more comfortable in one way and they you know maybe don't understand why they're being asked to change that's the concern the flip side is sometimes you bring in a new guy who really gels with a guy who hasn't broken through so so maybe you've got a uh, an offensive lineman who just wasn't blocking to his strengths or something and, and you, you bring in a new guy who knows a way that that better utilizes that that athlete that personnel that's what you'd hope for um, when you're making a hire like that. So I think it can go both ways, but but I think when you talk to guys, if, if something's working, I think most people wouldn't want to change it unless that was the only option. You know what I mean? I agree with that. Well, you know, the first three years, uh, Max, the gym was on the job. We all know he was in the news all the time. That irritated a lot of folks outside of uh, Michigan country and the Michigan fan base. And there were interviews, tweets, recruiting sleepovers, you know, spring practice in Rome, et cetera, et cetera. Does it seem like he's taken a step back from all that stuff since the season ended? And I mean, he seems to me to be keeping a much lower profile this winter, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't know how conscious it is. I mean, uh, you're right that he's been in the news lately, and I can't necessarily figure out if that's because everything he does is no longer news, because it's no longer new. Or and how much of it is, I mean, but, but like you said, like with recruiting and stuff, like yeah, a down a down class is going to necessitate that you're not in the news as much, except for when people report about the down class, which is also there. But um, yeah, in terms of like sort of the headlines he would grab, I think people are a little more um, they're not watching him as closely. It's just the other part of it. Like there was a time when he first got hired that anywhere he went media would follow and that doesn't seem to be the case anymore i mean we for all we know he could still be going to the supreme court or see judge judy or whatever <laughs> but but if there's no media there like how would we ever find out about it you know what i mean yeah so I, it's hard for me to say whether he's trying to keep a lower profile but but you're, you're certainly right just in, in observing that there are less hardball headlines and, I, and I, I i don't know whether that's a result of him changing his behavior or maybe us changing our behavior as, as a media and and not necessarily following him um, everywhere he goes quite so much, you know? Yeah. You know, a lot of the writers and media people that covered the team said they thought Jim seemed oddly detached and maybe even aloof at times during the past season. Even on the sidelines, he seemed, you know, oddly subdued at times. I'm not sure what that means or, or if it's true, but I think last season really, really frustrated him, don't you? I don't know how it wouldn't have. I mean, you go from this team that was really close to a, a special season to a team that had a lot of room, a lot, a lot of work to do to get, to get to what he want, what, what he wanted from them. You know I mean? The Harbaugh offense is, it sometimes can seem simple because it's a lot of recognizable um, outcomes. And it's like, like the run game that should, seems like it should be simple, but there's some complex parts there. And if, if you don't have guys who have been in the system long enough, uh, to know exactly how to execute it, that would drive me crazy if I if I was trying to call plays, um, and just knowing that maybe you've got guys who who aren't maybe ready for for that, 
Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, hard for me to be, to be a body language expert or anything like that mm-hmm. and assess assess where he was at. But I, I don't know how it wouldn't have frustrated him to, to try to have to go from, from where he had just been a year ago with guys who were really executing what he wanted them to do at, at, a, at a really high level. I think that team with Amara Darbo and, and Jake Butt uh, pretty much is exactly how he would have wanted his teams to look at that time. And you had a quarterback in spate who was, who was firing on all cylinders for the first three quarters of the season and then, you know, jump to the next season and you're, you're struggling to find an identity pretty late into the year. Um, and I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that that wasn't frustrating on some level. No, frustrating for him and the fans, as we all know. With us here on our... I think so. <laughs> absolutely. With us here on our uh, February uh, Michigan Man Extra is Max Boltman, who uh, covers Michigan football as well as many other things for the Athletic Detroit. Max spring practice schedule was released on Monday. It kicks off on March 22nd, wraps up on April 24th. Still includes a trip to Normandy, although no dates for that were announced. Every spring, as we know, is important. Uh, you have a lot of new players coming into the mix. You have a lot of new coaches. But I think it's safe to say, uh, uh, once again, this might be even a more pivotal spring for the Jim Harbaugh era. Would you agree with that? Uh, it's crucial, yeah. I mean, they've got some stride to, to take if they want to if they want to get back in this. I mean, you talk about just, like, momentum in college football. And, and I don't know how much I believe in momentum in terms of, like, a game or a season. I mean, like, that can change. But I think I do believe it in terms of, like, a program's direction just because recruits follow this sort of thing. And you saw with with Brady Hoke, um, and not that I think that there's a direct comparison there, but when his team started to, to look like, oh, there may not be a direction here, that's when you saw some, some highly committed prospects decommit and, and, and the recruiting classes um, maybe weren't coming together anymore. And I think in college football, that is the risk that you run. Now, I don't think you can go into spring practice with a, with a mindset of we got to be good so we keep our recruits, but it's just one of these undercurrents that, that you always have to kind of be vigilant of. Um, and, and so that's where I think just long view is important. But, yeah, I mean, you've got to develop some offensive tackles, even if they're maybe not ready for the very beginning of this year, which is going to be hard for Michigan fans to hear, mm-hmm. but that's a strong possibility. Um, you got to have them ready so that at some point you have a, a base of guys from which to pull. I mean, you, you can't be, be having this problem at the beginning of every year. And if you got to have it one more year, so be it. But just make sure that you've got a stable there that, that is working forward. You've got some young talent there. You've you got to build it up. Um, the defense, I think, I think everyone has always felt that that's the, the foundation of, of Michigan's team. And, and so... I don't think there's huge concerns there, except for the fact that you could have another pretty, pretty substantial departure um, from from some key players after this year. I mean, you you're probably not going to lose as much as you did after 2016, but Lavert Hill is is going to be eligible for the draft. Rashawn Gary, of course, Devin Bush. I mean, if those guys have the years that I think a lot of people expect them to, who is to say uh, that they're, that they're not going to go pro as well? And then and then you're you're in the territory where you know, you're probably curious as to what 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 the window looks like if those guys are are leaving it and you don't uh, you don't get it done. So I mean, there's all kinds of pressures, like you said. It, it, pivotal is a good word for it because I think they would like to to really get some some momentum built like very soon. Yeah, absolutely. 
and it being an important spring, the one question I get, it's about Shea Patterson and his eligibility. He's taken on sort of a, a, a savior context for so many Michigan fans uh, who think he's going to walk in and uh, bring us to the promised land, Big Ten Championship, uh, the playoffs. He hasn't even you know, taken a snap at Michigan yet. Yep. Do you think, and I think the NCAA is really dragging its feet on this, have you heard anything about his eligibility being ruled on anytime soon? No, I haven't, and 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 I I'm I just don't think that it's worth investing for, for the for the exact reason that you just bring it up. Like investing in someone as a potential savior is always dangerous, but even more so when you are not sure that that potential savior can play right away. I mean, I think that there sounds like just based on what I, what I've read that there's some optimism, but do you really want to put all your eggs in that basket? And, and aren't you sure that if you put all your eggs in that basket, that that's something that can live up to your expectations? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big ask of a guy to come into a new system and be a savior right from the jump. I mean, I, I'm not disputing that Shea Patterson is talented. He is very talented. He's got a track record of, of coming in places and assimilating, and I wrote about that. Um, but, but it's a big ask to, for someone to come in and be the answer to all your problems, especially – by the way, when he plays a position that maybe has not been the source of all the problems, certainly some, but not all the problems. So a quarterback who, who comes in and has a lot of responsibilities in terms of checking the line and how the offense is going to run can't also be responsible for keeping himself upright. Um, I mean, it's a big ask. So, no, I haven't heard, um, I haven't heard any, any details of when his waiver comes in, but it, it, if I... Uh, if I was someone who was going to invest in uh, one outcome or the other, I, I would just try to temper it a little bit. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I mean, uh, here's what I think, too. Uh, I know he's a very talented quarterback, but uh, you watch that offense that, Miss, that, that Ole Miss ran. I mean, that's almost like a backyard offense. Snap it, throw it, uh, hand off. It's just an option read offense. And what do we hear all the time about Jim Harbaugh's offense? It's very, very intricate. It's very complicated. Yep. It takes time to take it all in. And you think he's going to be declared eligible in a couple of weeks, go into spring practice and soak up this offense? I find that really hard to believe. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I, don't, I believe he'd still be able to do spring practice and stuff unimpeded regardless of the eligibility, right? So, yeah. So, Maybe, maybe, maybe that doesn't need to be a concern on, on his mind, but I don't know how, how it wouldn't at least factor in on some level. Like, you're going to wonder if you're going to be allowed to, to play to start, you know, next year when you're a guy that made the, the chance that he did. Um, so, but I think if, if, he, if he's able to kind of tune out that concern and just operate like he's going to, that's his best case scenario because he's going to need time. I mean, even, even a guy, um, like Jake Rudock, who came in, it took him about half the season, mm-hmm. I think, to really be humming in that offense. So it's, it's, it's a big ask for someone to come in and do it right away. It really is. And while fans are going to be fans, they're going to focus on what's happening with the quarterback battle, Shea Patterson or not. But I think most of us should be watching what happens with that offensive line. And not that we're going to get a yep. lot of answers in, in March, but the reality is if that doesn't get fixed and improved, it really won't matter who's under center, will it, Max? Uh, no, I mean Shea Patterson's a guy that can that can keep himself up a little bit, like he can get out of a little pressure. But you've seen a couple of, of pretty talented quarterbacks go down last year. Um, 
behind a line that, that just wasn't able to, to keep him up right. Not to put all of that on the line. I certainly don't don't want to put that all on them. But but that's a that's a real concern when um, when you're a quarterback. Like, are you going to be able to have the time to do your job mm-hmm. as, as best you can? I mean, that's that's a huge factor. Well, you know, I had Shemmy Schembechler on the show a couple of weeks ago, and of course, uh, he spent. 17 years as an NFL talent scout. We know who Shemmy is and what his football background is. But he told me uh, something interesting. He said, in his opinion, Jim's rebuild was always going to be a five-year job. And we know that is not what Michigan fans want to hear, of course. So many of them expected Big Ten titles, playoff appearances uh, by year three, maybe four. Do you think Jim has lost some traction with a lot of our fan base? I don't know. I mean, I I think that like you like you said earlier, like when it works, people are happy, and when it doesn't, they're not. And coming off a year where it did not work, uh, people are under, are understandably not too happy. But but I think if things get rolling again, right? If they if they come out and they beat Notre Dame and they're they do the thing that they always seem to do and, and be five and zero to start the year. Uh, I think he he wins a lot of people back right away. I mean, that Notre Dame game, we don't know necessarily how good. Uh, Notre Dame is going to be, but but we're pretty sure they're going to be pretty high ranked, you know. Yeah. So it, it's got potential to have kind of the same thing as as this last year, where you go out and you beat a a team and it looks like just a huge win right away, and then you got to you got to walk it back and see how good a win uh, it actually is. I mean, there's also the possibility that they go out and they lose that game, and that's a very real possibility. Um, and and then I think the same thing will happen, where people will be a little. Uh, a little more cautious in, in, in how they want to approach the, their outlook for the year. But I don't know. I, I think that with, with Harbaugh, as with any coach, winning is, is the answer to everything. And if, if you're winning, um, it, it seems like the kind of thing the fans won't have too hard of a time uh, coming back and, and feeling really good about him. But um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it will play out. Well, as we know, year four is a pivotal year for most coaches in solidifying their programs wherever they are. And I think we all agree this is a huge year for Jim and for Michigan. But, you know, my reality check is looking at what a sobering schedule uh, we have. ESPN is calling it the toughest in all of college football. I don't think anyone can argue with that. And, you know, the reality is Michigan could be a vastly improved team and have three or four losses next year, Max. That schedule is brutal. It is, and and you look at what happened to Penn State this year, where they they went in to that stretch of games and they had back to back to back, Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State. And Michigan this year is going to have a stretch where they are going to have Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State. So that's a brutal three game stretch, and it doesn't even include their toughest game. I mean, that's that's crazy to think about that mm-hmm. they have a stretch like that. And, and then no matter how, like they could go two and one in that stretch, which would be, I would think like a pretty close to a best case scenario there and still lose three games if they lose to Notre Dame and Ohio state. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a bear of a schedule. And I think this is where Michigan fans are going to have to put on their, their most critical rational glasses and, and, and look at however this season goes um, as best they can with some <laughs> rationality. Um, however, Jim Harbaugh's had a lot of uh, teams that have lost to good teams, but at some point you do need to beat those good teams. Like if you're going to be an elite level team, you got to consistently beat other elite level teams or other very good teams. 
Um, it, it's it's just not going to be good enough for fans, I don't think, to see him, you know, beat all the teams that he should and come up just short in, in close games and heartbreakers against all the really good teams. I, I just don't think that, that that's what people think, you know, thought that, that Michigan signed up for when they hired him. I mean, that's that's a totally fair perspective. But, but like you said, I mean, you look at the schedule, they could be vastly improved and lose three games or four games. And, and what do you do then? Like, how do you approach that? I, I don't know the answer. And, and that is something that if it happens, is going to be just fascinating to watch play out um, among the fan base. Oh, more than fascinating. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll hear all about that. But let's hope uh, that doesn't happen. <laughs> a final question for you, Max, and then we'll, uh, we'll let you get out of here. And I get this question from listeners almost every day, and I answer it the same way each time. So I'll ask you. Do you see a point after four or five years uh, when Jim, Jim Harbaugh says, you know, that's it. I've done my best, and he moves on. Maybe he goes back to the NFL. Could you see that happening? Oh, hard to put a time frame on it. Um, can I see him back in the NFL someday? I could see it, yeah. I don't think it's something that he's, like, itching to do, though. I mean, it, you've got one of the more, I mean, the most competitive person that I've ever observed. And I don't know, I don't know if he is someone who would want to walk away from this position without feeling like he did what he wanted to do. Now, whatever that objective that he had in his mind is, I don't know. I'm not in his head. Um, and maybe, maybe he feels like the NFL is, is something that he wants to do again. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him in the NFL again, but to know when it would be is, is tough. I mean, I, I think that a lot of it depends on, on what happens while he's at Michigan and, and how, you know, how happy are you, just from a life perspective, if you're going to make a life decision, that would have to weigh into it. Um, but I don't think it's something that he would have a clock in his mind that he was like, you know, Michigan for five years and then back to back to the NFL. I mean, I, I think I don't think that's how he operates. Um, but again, not in his mind. This is just all just from my observation. So it, it's hard to say like what what the timeline is. I, it would not at all surprise me to see him in the NFL again someday, but. Who knows when that is, and who knows if that is. So I know that doesn't really answer the question, but uh, that's the best I got. Yeah, well, what I tell people is uh, I think as much as I know, which isn't a lot, I don't think he's the kind of guy that walks away from any team, any program, especially his alma mater. There is way too much unfinished business, and I think in some ways – as tough as last season was to watch, and, and we already talked about what how it, grinding it was on Jim Harbaugh, I think it may be in a lot of ways, and we're seeing it with the staff changes right now, it's in some ways reinvigorated him and repurposed him, and he is going to come back and make this better. That's what I'm interested to see with, with some of these new hires. Like When you go outside of your coaching tree and you bring in someone like Ed Warner and, and, and even a Jim McElwain who... who you know, say what you want, but he is a different voice. And and so maybe you get some challenges to his ideas, and, and that, that's inter- that's an interesting idea. Like, how, how does that play when you're taking out someone who's been with him forever, Tim Drevno, and you're plugging in one, two guys uh, who haven't? I mean, does, does that change the conversation? Are there some things that, that become looked at in a different way? I mean, the, my favorite, like, press conference moment from – last year was somebody asked Jim about running more counters and it was basically like, 
yeah, my, my dad told me, why don't we run more counters? So, yeah, we started running more counters. I mean, some, sometimes you need that. I mean, sometimes you need someone to, to say, like, why are you doing it this way? And, and, and you think about it differently. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I, I think that's an interesting point about unfinished business and, and is he going to leave. I mean, it, it's, it's certainly the, the question that, that just will not die. <laughs> I, uh, I don't have the answer, so sometimes I, it's, it's – uh, Sometimes it's an overwhelming question because how how could anybody answer that? But uh, certainly you understand where it's coming from, and, and it, it is you know if, if that becomes a immediate question, it will be the the story on Michigan football. So. Oh yes, it will. My guest today has been Max Boltman, who covers Michigan football for the Athletic Detroit, as well as a, a lot of other things going on in uh, the Metro Detroit area. It was great to finally hook up with you, Max, and we look forward to having you back on the show in the coming months and during the season. So thanks for your time. Anytime, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed having Max on the show with us for the first time, and rest assured he will be back on the show. He does a wonderful job of covering Michigan and the Red Wings and a lot of other stuff on The Athletic Detroit, which I highly recommend. Google The Athletic Detroit and check it out. It's a subscription site, but if you're a sports junkie, it's sort of like cyber heaven. That will do it for this month's Michigan Man Extra. I'll be back next week on my regular day, and by then we'll know how we fared in the Big Ten Tournament, and as usual, there will be much to talk about. So until then, have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Take care, and as always, Go Blue! Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!